Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey everyone, Olivia Allen Price here, and this is Bay Curious. We're starting off this week in San Jose. It's the most populated city in the Bay Area. One million people live within city limits. That's more than twice the population of Oakland. And yet, for a city its size, it's remarkably spread out. It doesn't really feel like a big city when you walk around. That's largely because of when San Jose had its biggest development boom. It is now possible to have the individual styling every family wants in its home and still have all the benefits of mass production. In the years after World War II, millions of soldiers returned home, got married, and started looking to buy property. You know, that whole American dream thing? Home builders anticipated the needs of newlyweds and young families. They built new suburbs that appealed to countless first-time homebuyers. Up until then, about two-thirds of Americans lived in cities. That's where the jobs were. But with the availability of spacious new homes, at least for white buyers, people left those cities. And all of this was made possible by another big change, the interstate highway system. These two ideas, suburbs and highways, went hand in hand, a perfect cocktail for the kind of urban sprawl we see in cities like San Jose. That kind of sprawl has turned out to have some pretty big problems. First off, all that driving has not been good for climate change. Cars and trucks account for nearly half of California's total carbon emissions. And then there's another problem. Once all those single-family lots are full, how can you house a population that's still growing? Today, we're presenting an episode from KQED's podcast, Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America. We'll look at how leaders in San Jose are trying to reimagine how residents live and how they get around. We'll be right back with that story. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. San Jose was largely built around the idea of single-family homes and cars. Housing reporter Arati Bandlamudi walks us through how they're now trying to build for a denser, greener future. It's a warm evening, and I'm hanging out at the BART train station in San Jose. 
For the past few weeks, I've been looking to interview someone who thinks a lot about housing and public transit. And I keep striking out. Either people are too busy or they see my big microphone and just walk the other way. But then I spot Monica Rivera. She rides into the station dressed all in black on a shiny gray bike. And she doesn't run away from me when I try to approach her. Honestly, I tell people making your commute either biking or walking, it makes such a big difference in how you feel throughout the day. She's still facing a 45-minute commute on the train, but she's so energetic. It makes you feel like more connected to the community too, because you're like biking by businesses, you like are biking by your neighbors, and you just see more people. And when you're in the car, you're just, you're not as focused on like what's going on around you. A couple days a week, Monica wakes up at 5.30, bikes from her apartment to the train station, takes the train to San Jose, and then bikes to City Hall, where she helps manage the city's recycling program. It sounds like a lot to me. To me, it makes a big difference for the environment, knowing that I'm not putting all those like pollutants into the air every day. Monica and I are a lot alike. We're both 29 and recently married. We care about the environment and love being outside. And we both want to settle down in the same kind of house, in the same kind of neighborhood. I would want a home that's in a neighborhood that's walking distance to things. Like, we could go to a restaurant or a coffee shop or, like, a grocery store, you know, and be able to be within, like, a 10-minute walk. Um, Ideally, be close to whatever job I have. She and her husband have been trying to find that in the Bay Area. But homes in those kinds of neighborhoods are way out of her price range. The homes they can afford aren't much bigger than the studio apartment they're renting. If we buy a home, I don't want to go just from one tiny place to another tiny place. Buying a home is really important to Monica because of how she grew up. I grew up in a small, like with my family, my sibling, um, like a tiny two-bedroom house that they were renting. So she and her husband started looking for a place to buy. I wanted to prove to myself, you know, that I could reach that. After months of house hunting, she found a home in Lathrop about a two-hour drive from San Jose in California's Central Valley. It's three bedrooms, two baths. It has a nice backyard, has some grass, um, some trees and plants. We have an orange tree and a lemon tree, which is really nice. She said it was a relief to finally sign the papers. It felt good. Yeah, it felt really good. I mean, I've been saving for years now and, like, just all of the sacrifices that we've made. But she had to compromise. Because biking to work and walking around her neighborhood, she can't really do that in Lathrop. Nothing is within walking distance. Even being able to go to like a coffee shop in the morning or if you forget something at the store, you have to get in the car to go. When she did live in the Bay Area, she loved going to the city every day or to the beach on the weekends. Now it's like to reach any of those destinations, I have to add like an hour, which is a small price to pay, you know, like you need to make sacrifices. But... It's still just something that I'm going to have to get used to. Another thing she's getting used to, the heat. For the past few years, Lathrop has seen record high temperatures in the summer. And soon after they moved in, Monica got COVID. I was sick in 100 degree heat. We like didn't have blinds on our windows yet. And it was just a nightmare. I'm not used to it. Here's the paradox. Cities like Lathrop are one of the few places in California where housing is being built, housing that's affordable for people like Monica. But at the same time, temperatures in California's Central Valley are soaring higher and higher each summer. 
Lathrop wasn't Monica's first choice. She was really hoping to find a place where she could keep riding her bike and taking the train. But with what she could afford, Lathrop felt like her only choice. Why why are, are, is our society, like, encouraging this or allowing it to happen? This is an urgent problem. As the housing crisis pushes people further away from big cities, they drive more and emit more carbon. That makes climate change worse. So instead of continuing to sprawl, why not build more homes in the city, close to public transit and in neighborhoods where people could walk more? I used to live in San Jose, so when I heard the city was trying to make this a reality, I was really curious about it. Before I moved there from the East Coast, I had this image of a bustling metropolis, but it's actually pretty quiet. A lot of people live there, but they're all spread out. So what would it mean if the city made good on this promise? I'd love to just sort of get a lay of the land, like what, you know, yeah. what it's going to look like one day. See from here. Eric Shainauer points to an old wooden fence surrounding a big vacant lot. And, and, and what is inside of the site right now? Like, It's, what's it's just trucks and uh, equipment. Eric's technical title is land use consultant. For the past 20 years, he's been working with developers and the city to build more housing in San Jose. And he wants to transform this area into a thriving urban neighborhood. High-density housing, high-density jobs, retail, parks, mixed-use neighborhoods. Three years ago, BART opened a train station nearby, where I met Monica, and the city figured it would be the perfect place for more housing. We have to, everywhere, make cities that are not reliant on fossil fuels to get around. This is all part of San Jose's larger goal to combat sprawl. More than 10 years ago, city officials noticed that too many people were getting priced out. City workers had commutes up to two hours long. So they came up with a plan to build 60 urban villages across San Jose. State Assembly member Ash Kalra represents the city and was one of the loudest advocates for the plan. Here he is selling the idea in a promotional video. Urban villages have a lot of benefits. First of all, by bringing uh, people together, both in terms of their housing and their jobs and the stores and restaurants they go to, you're being much more efficient with your use of land. Imagine tall apartment buildings with shops on the bottom and a train line running through the middle. A pedestrian's paradise. This new housing would be a big change for San Jose. It's the 12th largest city in the country, but it feels like a giant suburb. All the homes are spread out. And that's because of its history. Between the 1950s and 1970s, highway expansion set the tone for city planning. Sam Asifa runs California's Office for Planning and Research. That's basically the state's own think tank to solve its toughest problems, like sprawl. Sprawl was literally on steroids, with single-family developments quickly gobbling up farmland, open space, and spreading out. In the early 1900s, San Jose was a small city of only 17 square miles. Today, it's 181 square miles, and most of it is dominated by single-family homes, a house that's home to only one family. This is the American dream, and we know that single-family homes generally perpetuate sprawl. More than 90% of San Jose's land is zoned for single-family homes. For decades, it was illegal to build other kinds of housing, like apartments or duplexes, in most of the city. That history created a lot of housing inequity. 
starting in the early 1950s, white families were moving into San Jose from bigger cities like San Francisco and Oakland. Fair housing laws hadn't been passed yet, so a lot of the new homes were off-limits to practically anyone who wasn't white. Scars from that history are still visible today. Black and Latinx residents of San Jose are far less likely to own their homes than white and Asian residents. San Jose wants to right some of those wrongs, and the urban villages could help. They're supposed to include some affordable housing, bring more jobs, and give more people the opportunity to live here. But this whole urban village dream is really slow going. It's been more than 10 years since San Jose officials said they wanted urban villages all over the city. So far, only a handful have been built. There's already part of an urban village next to the BART station. There's a tall apartment building with hundreds of units. Walking around that area. Okay, so I just had to cross a one, two, three, four, five, six lane road to get to the other side. It's just not that easy. This is one obstacle San Jose is up against. It's trying to build a pedestrian-friendly neighborhood in a place planned around cars. Sidewalks run alongside the apartment building, but it's just not very welcoming to walk next to a busy road. There is a Safeway and a Dunkin' Donuts, but you have to cross a huge parking lot and another four-lane road to get there. The apartment building was built with shop and restaurant space on the ground floor to make it more convenient and interesting to live here, but it's mostly vacant. That's partly because demand is down post-pandemic. There's barely anyone walking around. I finally run into Juan Carlos Navarro. He lives in a townhome a few blocks away and is out with his dogs. I'm so excited to see someone, I'm fumbling over myself. How do you feel about all of this new development coming and the- Let me call you back, okay? Oh, sorry. He says this area used to be a bit of a ghost town, but that's starting to change. We definitely like it because it's, uh, we feel better, we feel secure now walking around the block because this was all empty before and it, was, and it wasn't as secure as it is now. So mm-hmm. we definitely like it. He hopes it becomes more lively as more housing gets built and more shops get filled. I hope to see more people, more, you know, entertainment areas, stores, and I will hope to see that. As San Jose tries to make good on its urban village promise, it's kind of handcuffed by some of its own policies. And you can see it in plans for Eric Schoenauer's development. He has a vision for tall apartment buildings, But what's the first thing he's going to build? Single family and townhomes. Yeah. The first thing Eric is going to build is more standalone houses. That's because the neighborhood around the empty lot is already full of single family homes. And city policy doesn't allow tall buildings to be built right next to them because it might cast a shadow. So Eric has to build a buffer. Put a row of lower density housing units up against the existing single family and put the taller buildings more internal on the site. Cities across California have laws like these, which protect single family homes and prevent denser housing, like apartments or condos, from being built nearby. What's more, apartment buildings are riskier because developers have to build the whole thing before they can rent or sell any of the units. Whereas single family and townhomes you can, you can build and sell as you go. Even though the city wants to see more dense development, they're not the ones building it. It's up to developers. And it has to make sense to their bottom line. Right now, it doesn't. 
interest rates and construction costs have soared, and there's less demand for office and retail space. Eric hopes another developer will eventually build the apartments, but he's uncertain as to when that might happen. I believe it's an inevitable evolution to move towards denser, more mixed-use development. It's all evolving in the right direction, but it takes time. Evolution takes a long time. It's just waiting. I mean, everyone's waiting. There's no, it's not happening. Kelly Snyder has been living in San Jose since 1999. She teaches real estate development at San Jose State and is really frustrated with the city's progress on their urban village plan. She thinks there's a different way to get more housing built. I meet her in a quiet neighborhood filled with small bungalows, each with their own front lawn. So where are we where are we right now? We are in downtown San Jose, outskirts of downtown San Jose. It's a little brown house with bright blue accents around the windows. It's got three bedrooms, two bathrooms, and a big backyard. At the end of the block, there's a train station where you can catch a ride to downtown San Jose. We have a fantastic public elementary school on this corner, big public park with one of This house three. is Kelly's pilot project. She bought it from Raul Lozano, a local activist who wanted to see more housing built here. He wanted to split his home into two separate units, but was struggling with the process. And at the same time, Kelly, who's an experienced developer, wanted to help. This front unit is a one bedroom. So it's got a living room and a nice kitchen, a full bathroom, and then a nice bedroom. And we charge $1,500 a month for this, and that includes utilities. $1,500 for all that is a steal in the Bay Area. And Kelly didn't stop there. She also built a small two-bedroom house in the backyard, where Raul lived until he passed away in February. It's now home to two of Raul's friends who are dealing with housing insecurity. They would often, you know, spend time with family in the valley and then sleep in their cars one or two nights a week here. We approached the mother and said, would you like to move into this house? And she said yes, and she and her son live here now. That small house is technically called an ADU, or Accessory Dwelling Unit. You might know it as a granny flat or a casita. And it's the hottest thing in California housing. Recent state and local laws have made them easier to build. There are even grant programs that will cover some of the costs. And San Jose has really embraced them. Last year, the city issued over 500 permits to build new ADUs. There's still some space on Kelly's lot, and she wants to build a duplex there. So even more homes on a plot of land that used to have just one. Kelly knows there are skeptics. One of the reasons why I wanted to do this is because every time I bring someone here, they're like, well, that's just a tiny little lot. You can't fit a whole new house on there. And I'm like, oh, I can fit a whole house on there. Even if she can build it, not everyone wants it. Many of the people who moved to San Jose came for the backyard and the quiet neighborhood with tree-lined streets. But Kelly wants to show people you can still have that and add more housing. After buying Raul's place, she formed a company to help more people split their homes. And everyone who comes to see it says, oh, I didn't know it would look this nice. I didn't know you could fit all of this. And for what it's worth, it doesn't feel crowded. This is still a quiet street, and there isn't a tall building in sight. Kelly thinks San Jose is moving in the right direction with ADUs and just needs to keep making it cheaper and easier to build them. They know the knob to switch and they've already started twisting it. They just need to twist it further. I know I've been picking on San Jose, 
But the thing is, it's like a lot of cities in California. They were all built on an idea that sounded great at the time. A spacious home with a yard of your own, a car that could take you anywhere. But that idea has led California into its housing and climate crisis. So maybe it's time to embrace some new ideas for how our cities are built and how we'll create a sustainable future. It might mean living closer to each other, driving less, walking more. And if you ask me, that actually sounds pretty great. That was KQED housing reporter Aditi Bandlamudi. This story is from the KQED podcast Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America. Their latest season explores the intersection of climate and the housing crisis. Another episode that Bay Area listeners might enjoy is called Electric Avenue, and it follows a group of neighbors in Oakland who are working together to make their homes more efficient and climate resilient. Find Sold Out wherever you listen. This story was edited by Erica Kelly and Kevin Stark. Sold Out is hosted by Aaron Baldessari. Jen Chien was a contributing editor. Sound engineering by Brendan Willard. Cedric Wilson wrote the Sold Out theme song. Thanks also to Katie Springer, Cesar Saldana, Maha Sanad, Ethan Toven Lindsay, Holly Kernan, Otis Taylor Jr., Molly Solomon, Amanda Font, Christopher Beale, and the whole KQED family. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Bay Curious is going to be dark next week for the Thanksgiving holiday, so I'll say this now. We are so thankful that you listen to our show. It's truly an honor and privilege to make it. And we hope you have a joy-filled week, whatever that looks like to you. Have a good one. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's Trivia Game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just... What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.